to a brand new edition of the Slash Sanitarium. I'm your host, Troy, and we're talking about From Season 1, Episode 9, called Into the Woods. Sarah and Void begin the episode by walking through the woods, hence the name of the, title of the episode. She asks if he knows that this is the right way to go. Void says it's his hunch, and has based this on finding the tree he found the talismans in. Void says that they will camp here for the night, since he knows that they will be safe in the tree. This is as far as he has gotten and doesn't want to go further, two hours before dark. Sarah asks him to remove the cups, but Boyd says no, and he cupped her in front so she can still go to the bathroom. I mean, kinda. Maybe. Kenny talks to his mother and explains that they are splitting up into three teams. One team works in the tower, one on the radio, and one on the power source. Except that last group is kinda just Jade. Tian says she doesn't like Jade, because all he does is complain and she tells him to go be a good sheriff and ring the bell. Christy arrives to give the book back to him. Apparently they've been each reading a chapter, and then they pass it off to the other person to read. The colony house peeps arrive back, and Don asks about one of them, claiming he is looking down. Eric, the newly named person, says it runs in the family. Dale walks up and bitches about living in the post office and how this radio tower is going to fail. Donna writes a one on the Nights Without Incident board. It's funny how everybody else just kind of steps up into positions. Boyd leaves, and you've got Kenny doing the the nightly, or duskly, walk down the street, ringing the bell to let everyone know that they need to get safe. Donna is kind of taking care of things and even writing on the incident board. Tabitha continues to dig in the basement, and as she is climbing the stairs, it's suddenly a lighthouse. We see Ethan's toys on the steps of the lighthouse, so she picks them up, but she drops a bottle down the stairs. She hears a phone ring and has visions of standing outside in the town. We can hear a baby crying, and Tabitha finds Jim hanging upside down. He screams, but it's a car horn noise instead. Tabitha remembers the crash, and then she wakes up in bed. There are so many mixed metaphors in here, and a mix of her experiences in here. So, obviously, if you're listening to me, you already know what's going to happen, but... The lighthouse is going to be a very important thing by the end of the episode. So the fact that this is the first we see it before we've even gotten to that in the episode, very interesting. Don't know what it means yet, but we're getting there. Ethan's toys on the steps. Um, I guess maybe showing that he's connected with everything going on. And then obviously the connection between uh, Tim dying and them crying. Or... or them, you know, listening to him cry. Yeah, Thomas, sorry, that's his name, not Tim. Thomas dying because of the phone ringing, and then, you know, Jim not looking at the baby, her not looking at the baby, and the baby, baby dying. Jim hanging upside down is kind of interesting, because we haven't seen anything like that yet, and I'm not sure if it means he's in danger, 
or if it's just, you know, a, a different sort of like spooky kind of thing. Obviously, the car horn, remembering the crash that brought them there. Like, there's a lot packed into this. And I don't know what all of it means yet. And I'm sure that there is more things that we're going to get along the way. But the bottle dropping on the stairs as well is in this episode later on. So, Tabitha, of course, doesn't know any of this. And she's going to chalk this up as just a bad dream. And she's not going to talk to anybody about it. But if she actually took the time, if anybody in this show took the time to talk to each other and share their experiences with each other, there would be a lot more of like, an, oh, there is this connection here. Oh, hey, you're talking about climbing the steps of a lighthouse. Well, I just saw a lighthouse whenever I get back from it. And same thing with a bottle. And all of those things. Like, nobody wants to talk. And this episode is yet another one where people are given the opportunity to talk about things and they're just like, I don't want to talk about it. And that can get really annoying really fast. And eventually you don't want it to continue to go down that route where a lot of shows do that, where if people just actually talked about things and explained things, there'd be a lot less miscommunications, but that's a cheap way to get storylines. It's morning now and someone screams. Donna runs out to find Eric hanging dead. Now, if we would have given this dude any bit of attention other than one line at the beginning of this episode, this probably would have hit a little harder. But instead, it's just a red shirt dead. Like, if Eric... We're in episode 9 now. We had plenty of time to make this guy a part of things, to at least name him before the beginning of this episode. So, him killing himself, you're just like, okay, I mean progresses the story, but there I feel like there could have been a little bit more emotional weight to it than that. Like the them killing Kevin, we at least got him an episode before and we set up him letting everybody in and fucking up Colony House. We didn't need to learn too much more of it because all you need to know was that he's a fucking idiot who killed a bunch of people on you know, not by his own hand, but by the hands of others. And then here you've got Eric who is just like he's gone. So, here he is, and here he's gone. A woman tells John Donna that he was making jokes about the tower yesterday, and seemed just fine. Well, Donna did notice that he wasn't doing too hot, but just sort of, you know, she had her own things going on, and the guy did say, like, yeah, he was fine. So, I don't put any blame on her at all. Obviously, she's going to take responsibility for it, because he is one of her people. But she shouldn't. Jim is building the tower at Colony House. He asks Kenny to find more wood for the tower. Donna walks up and says she had a rough morning. Kenny asks about Eric, because he's now uh, important for this episode, and Donna tells him that Eric is not coming. I guess it's easier to deal with someone getting killed than someone killing themselves. Like, at least you can kind of chalk up all the rest of the deaths to, well, you know, they just lost the battle. But this guy killing himself while he lost his internal battle, like, he didn't have to die. Ella sits down with Fatima. She asks if she heard about Eric, and says he didn't see that coming. Well, none of us did, because none of us knew he was a character before today. Fatima says the idea that the tower might work is scarier than it not working. She asks how they will return to their lives. They have seen and done some shit. They are not the same people anymore. Ellis says that when Boyd came back from Afghanistan, 
he felt like he was returning from another planet. Boyd wondered if the world changed or if he did. Fatima says this place is the only one that have that they have ever known together. Alice doesn't pick up on this, on the fact that she is starting to wonder if they had never come to this place, would they be together? If when they're outside of this place, are they going to stay together? And it is a lot different when every night you worry that you might not wake up in the morning, as opposed to going back and not having that worry anymore, and not having creatures stalking around outside anymore. Are they going to continue to feel the same way about each other? Are they going to continue to have a life with each other? And, like, what do you do after that? You just go back and start working as a cashier at Target? When you know that somewhere out in the world there are creatures that are just killing people every night? It's weird. Boyd carves into a tree so they can find their way back. Sarah asks if maybe the woods is like the road, and she thinks they might just wind up back in the town again. Boyd asks her if she ever thought that maybe those voices were lying to her, but she says she doesn't want to talk about it, which should be the, the tagline of the show, honestly. I don't want to talk about it. He says if we're going to start second-guessing each other, then it's a fair question. Sarah explains that the voices told her if she didn't do what they said, her brother would die. Sarah asks why Boyd didn't just put her in the box. Boyd does her handcuffs as he relates to what she did, similar to what Abby went through, and he kind of understands it. This place puts pressure on people, and it makes them do things they wouldn't normally do. Abby started murdering a bunch of people because she thought that they were all in a dream. Sarah murdered a couple of people because she thought that it was their only way of getting out. She's not going to do it anymore unless they tell her to kill Boyd. And I guess he's cool with that. So they head out again. Ethan, Tabitha, and Julie shuffle through Victor's pictures. Ethan says it's a story, and if they put them in order, they can figure out what to do next. Ethan asks where the one of the person whose body is torn open goes, and Tabitha decides, you know what, maybe I'm done traumatizing my boys today. Let's do a little adventure. And... We're going to go ahead and talk about what we're going to do once we get home. Which is, I guess, a nice way to sort of think you have hope. But also it's a little sad for them to just be like wishful thinking on like, well, if we were home, if we could get home, this is what we could do. Jade and Jim continue uh, to argue about the tower. Jade says that the batteries are not enough and he asks about Victor and the symbol. Jim tells him to go find Victor, and he will figure this out himself. Jade tells Jim he's not going to be able to radio out without power. Kenny talks with Donna and checks on her. She's crying, but she then puts on her tough act again. Donna says that Boyd minded his own business, and Kenny should do the same. Kenny says he is getting more wood, but down at the barn. Donna says they have plenty of wood, and she heads downstairs, grabs an ask, Axe and starts slamming it into the ground of the kitchen and starts hacking away at it. Kenny says they need this place intact, and Donna says they don't as long as they're going home. And she also says this place isn't home again. Jim just sort of watches and he's like, Are you going to step in there, Sheriff? Or no? Okay, cool. I do really like this progression in character for Donna. Because we have seen that she does have a bit of a soft side to her. We have seen that 
you know, she's gone through a lot and she sort of reluctantly takes up this position of leader of Colony House. And now that they're all in the town together, she's not 100% the leader, but she is one of them, essentially. And that's a lot to put on someone's shoulders. And I'm sure that she looks at Eric dying as a way of, well, I did everything in my power. I kept everybody safe. I locked everybody up for the night. And somebody still died. And that's rough. But also, there's more to her sort of little breakdown here, too, which we'll get to. Boyd and Sarah continue to travel. Sarah says it was nice of Ellis to visit. She says she heard the story about Abby. And Boyd says, we're not going to talk about that. Boyd reminds her of Nathan. He is more gruff, but always puts other people's needs before himself. Nathan had a theory that if they tried to leave and push too hard, that something would push back. They then both hear bottles start clanking together off in the distance, and they find a tree with a bunch of bottles tied to the branches. Oh, apparently somebody has been out this far before. Or something. Boy is going to go get a bottle down, because he sees that there's something inside of them, and Sarah starts to have her Harry Potter scar hurt again, and she hits the ground, says she can hear them, and then has a seizure. I guess it's better that this happens during the day, as opposed to you having to drag her body to some safe place to make sure that she doesn't get ate. But this show continues to sort of make it where the first eight episodes largely largely were the mystery of the town and how they get there, why they're there, everything like that. And we didn't get any answers for what exactly that is. We didn't get any answers for what the, the monsters are. And now we're starting to see that that is just the beginning. There is a whole nother mystery out here. Now we've gotten little glimpses of mysteries before, obviously with the civil war guys or the, the world war guys, you know, trying to kill Jade and his vision and kind of seeing that Vin, that Victor has been here for a long, long time. So we are getting a little bit more of that, but now we're starting to see that for some reason, there are a bunch of bottles tied to a tree out way, way past where anyone else has really gone lately. And by the end of this episode, we're going to see there's even more out there than just the town, which they kind of made it seem just from the fact that you drive down the road and it circles back into the town again, that that was it. But apparently going, I guess if you consider the road to be east and west, if you go north or if you go south, there is more there. Now, mainly it's been surrounded by trees, but there is definitely more to explore. Now, given you only got, what, 12 to 14 hours to search around during the day, but at least it's something. Tom pours Donna a drink and asks about the tower. Tom says that this is the first time she has been in the bar. Kenny arrives and asks if, she can, if he can talk to Donna alone. Kenny says that there was nothing she could do about Eric. And Donna says this is not about that. He had a right to kill himself if he wanted to. Kenny says Donna doesn't think the tower will work. Donna asks what happens if the tower fails. If it fails, everyone loses the little hope that they have left. Donna is grieving the loss of what they made this place into. She's pissed at Kenny because he doesn't see what this place will become once this fails. Donna says the monsters at least have the decency to show you what they are. She says Colony House was more than just drinking and fucking. It was a community. 
They had hope and joy even in, with all this shit going on around them. Donna agrees to put on her game face tomorrow, but and she will give the tower a shot, but she does tell Kenny to prepare for the fallout either way. Which is, yeah, good, because this is the best idea that anyone has had in, I guess, years, honestly, to try to get a signal out. And Jim and Jade now have the entire town working on this together. And yeah, if they don't get a signal out, all of those people are going to go back to their homes protected by talismans and think, like, yeah, we got nothing left to try to root for, nothing to, to attempt. Like, we have no way of getting home at this point. And that's going to bum a lot of people out. And I guess Donna would probably think that Eric would just be the beginning of the self-inflicted deaths then. But if they do get a message out, and these people somehow do get out of this town, what is their lives going to be like? Which is a, similar to what Fatima was going through. What are their lives going to look like after this? Ellis finds Jim, and he talks about Jade, and Jim says he doesn't know. Ellis says they got the coil ready for him, and Jim talks about a few setbacks, but overall, they will figure out how to power the tower. I think this is only the second time Jim and Ellis have had a, a scene together. And I always appreciate it when we have new, like, pairings or people that don't typically have scenes together start having scenes together. And Kenny and Donna, they haven't had a lot of interaction. And now with everybody being in town, like, they have a lot more interaction. Obviously, Jim and Ellis were separated as well, and now they're talking. So it's cool, because I'm sure the actors themselves like it, too. Kenny goes on the bell walk and ends up finding Christy on the steps of the post office. She says that Eric was a, her friend. News to us. Eric had celiac disease, so he came to the clinic a lot. Christy told him to stop eating bread, but he said he is already living in Shitsville, and now she wants him to give up carbs. She says Eric made things a little better, and Christy makes Kenny promise that if the tower fall fails, that he will come to her and talk with her and let her help him. He promises that he will. This is obviously her last, like, very close person, because Gina's dead, Kenny's dad is dead, Eric is dead. Those are the people that she was closest to, it would appear. And Kenny is her best friend, essentially, in this place. So she doesn't want to see him kind of spiral into that same thing. And Kenny is somebody who has already lost his dad and was taking that very hard. This might be another serious blow to his psyche. Jade is setting the table for dinner and rambling to himself that everyone just keeps putting pressure on him and he can't fix things. Tian just keeps glancing at him and she says that Jade complains. He should stop complaining. She says if you need electricity and then she walks over and flips on the power to the lights. Jade thinks for a minute and says we just can't plug anything into that. Then he thinks some more and he says I know how to do it. It's it was one of those things you kept expecting somebody was going to either stumble into a way of Jade kind of having an epiphany, or somebody was going to point out to him, like, you do realize that everything runs on this mysterious power, right? So now he apparently has figured out a way to tap into that. Jim arrives back home and finds Tabitha in the basement. 
And Julie is now helping. She asks how the tower is going, and he says good. And she calls him a bad liar. She says that maybe they were supposed to come here, because they never talked back home, and now they're really talking, and they feel like a family again. She asks him to help dig in the basement. Once they go down, the light flickers overhead as they head downstairs, which I think is just, again, sort of a... It's probably an omen to what's going on down there, them digging a tunnel. But it's also sort of a reminder that, like, whatever that is, it's not natural. And we're now going to try to tap into that for this tower, which might not be the best of ideas, but it seems to be the only idea they got. Boyd and Sarah in a tent with the talisman hung up. Sarah wakes up, and Boyd comforts her. He tells her they're safe. He was able to get one of the bottles down, and inside was a note. It reads, 1864. That's it. He says that all the bottles have slips of paper in them, which I guess you would presume they all have different years on them, but he wasn't really able to see anything else of them. Sarah says she dreamt uh, dreamt of a woman who was screaming and saying she was wrong. There are worse things than the monsters out there, and she kept saying, tell Mr. Fish and Loaves that I was wrong. Boyd realizes that Abby was the one that she's referring to, and was apparently wrong about them all being asleep. So I guess you can go ahead and cross that one off your list, too. And she now, I guess, is trapped in Fremworld? I'm not sure if everybody that we have seen die, and everybody that has ever died here, is all just sort of like in a spectral plane, or if they're sort of in like a, a collective consciousness that Sarah is able to tap into when she hears things. But this is not the first time that Sarah has been able to tell people things that she shouldn't know. I was see with Father Katri, like she was told that the voices were watching him. So you can assume that Abby is one of those voices now. and Abby is watching everything that goes on in the town. And they just can't leave, I guess. Which, if you were able to kind of talk to somebody and get a little bit more of a story, we could have a lot of these answers answers figured out. Because, well, they've been given kind of free reign to just observe. So, they must know something. It's too bad that Abby, not Abby, Sarah, doesn't seem to really be able to filter through things. And... I guess there was like a lot of people that must have been screaming at her about not messing with the trees. Well, Boyd did it anyways, so I don't know if that means something. I don't know if him taking down the bottle that reads 1864 means that somebody from 1864 is now free, or maybe it's having that on him. Maybe that will transport them to 1864. I'm not sure, but we'll see. Something then slams into the tent, and then starts to drag it around the ground. Now, could this be the monsters that we normally see? Sure. But, I don't think it is. Because, one, there's a talisman. And, seemingly, all they can do is kind of, like, lightly knock on whatever structure has a talisman on it, so that they can kind of fuck with people inside. But, they can't, like, punch through the glass, or do anything to destroy the structure that is protected. So grabbing the tent and like whipping it around and dragging it around doesn't seem to be in their abilities to do. And the fact that we don't see what drags them around also seems to make you feel like maybe it's something else. Now what it is, no idea. But 
It's something. And we're not going to get any answers on that. Right now. Ethan says that they are on a quest as Tabitha thinks she has hit the bottom of the hole. And that is the end of that story as we, we go back to Boyd and Sarah as they are continuing to struggle in their tent as it is rapidly dragged, but then it suddenly stops. Boyd asks about the talisman, and they find it, and they put it back up. Whatever attacked them has left, and Sarah says they should not have come here. They then both hear a lighthouse horn, and we see the telltale swooping light circling around that hits them on each spin. So they have been dragged to a lighthouse. Now, that's the end of the episode. The question is, while they were being dragged, are they still in the same time? Are they just further into the forest? Or did whatever grabbed them drag them through like a, tr- like a faraway tree or some other means of transporting them to a different place or transporting them to a different time period? Don't know. The 1864s may be a clue to that, but right now all we have is them still in the tent. They can't get out yet because it's still dark and them having to wait until morning to figure out what the hell that lighthouse is that they've just pulled up to. And they had, they have to have gone pretty far because they've never heard this lighthouse horn before, which is like I said, it's, it's like, are they still in the same time period or has this lighthouse been destroyed at some point in time? And that's why they don't hear it anymore. And if they are by a lighthouse, that must mean that there is an ocean nearby. So, I guess we'll see. Hopefully we get more answers on the season finale, which is next week. Until then, though, thank you for listening, and I will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.